Kato Shu, Entangling Vines, Case 17, Kempo's Three Types of Sickness. Eshu Kempo went to the hall and said, the Dharmakaya has three types of sickness and two types of light. Only after passing through these can one sit in peace. Umon Bunen stepped forward from the assembly and asked, Why is someone inside a hut unaware of what's happening outside? Kempo gave a hearty laugh. Umon said, your student still questions this, Kempo asked. What's on your mind, Umon said. I wish the master to understand fully. It's only in such profound stillness that one understands sitting in peace, Kempo replied. Yes, yes. Umon agreed. So here we are. Here we are feeling that we have arrived at this fifth day of the Hoan session. Well, does it really feel like an arrival? It's hard to say. These are just labels that we attach to that going that Sozan and Tozan spoke about at the end of Sozan's tenure as a student and then as a successor of Tozan Ryokai. Going. We hear about coming and going a lot. Every day, we chant about comings and goings. We are called to pay attention to these comings and goings, facing what Kozen Daito calls the inconceivable. Face it 24 hours a day. Now we had a chance to face it for almost five days together. If we juxtapose that to the many days that we don't spend in Seshin, the importance of what we do here and the work that we do here really becomes very clear. Some of us came up to me and said, wow, it took me a couple of days to recognize again what the importance of Seshin is. It is not unlike any kind of labor that we engage in. If we till a field while it is dry, devoid of any life, of any green, if we just look at it from that limited view, we will never be able to finish our work of tilling it, of planting the seeds, of diligently watering the seeds, at times removing the weeds, cutting the vines that entangle us, and all of that. As a process, this growing of food, that growing of something is not unlike the growing of a mature human being. We know what happened. Look at agriculture. 
Everything is done with big, big machines. The human attention that used to be given to the growing of food has basically gone away with mass production. Our culture has gone the same way. Education is a mass undertaking. Entertainment is a mass undertaking. We have very, very little chances to actually do something like session, like really putting our hands into that dirt that makes up our own lives. Till, seed, water, harvest, digest, compost, till again. All of that comes to mind at the end of this wonderful time that we had here together. There is nothing quite like it. We all ate literally, physically, from the same pot. We drank from the same spout of tea. And even though we have not exchanged a lot of words, a bond and a connection has not formed. It has been revealed by the fact of the absence of our own fetters that we usually have when we are out in the world. And here we let them just drop and recognize that there is a connection, not just with our fellow practitioners, but everything is interconnected. Haku in Zenji's Song of Zazen, it begins with the words, all sentient beings are fundamentally Buddha. Shujo honrai hotoke nari. It is like water and ice. Without water, no ice can exist. Without sentient beings, where do we find the Buddhas? This becomes clearer and clearer the longer we engage in this practice and the more we let ourselves fall into this, this, this. It's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. And I conjure up again uh, my first Zen teacher, Gendro Seon, who really beat it into us to recognize that, you know, if you had to be out gathering food, hunting, or struggling for your life, you would not have the time to engage in this practice. It is a luxury. It is an exceptional thing to do, and it should never be taken for granted. That's what he taught us, and that's what we do here in Hohen Session, recognize that it is a privilege to have encountered a teacher like Joshu Roshi, to have encountered the Dharma, and to have opened one's eyes already far enough to see and to recognize that this work of tilling, of seeding, of watering, of weeding, of harvesting, of composting, is helpful to us as individuals, but also is transformative to the society we live in. And that is something we should always keep in mind.
So today we have progressed to case number 17 of the Schumann Kato Shoe. Since it is so long, I have spared myself and have spared you to read it in Japanese. I probably would have messed up terribly. Case 17, we encounter two people. The first one is Eshu Kempo, and the second one is Umon Bunen. Eshu Kempo was a Dharma brother of the person who we encountered in case number 15, Sozan Honjaku. So he was also a successor to Tozan Ihyokai. He was born around 831, and we don't know when he passed away. Not too much is known about Eshu Kempo, but apparently, as we can see from this koan, he had a, an assembly, and in that assembly, at some point, Umon Bunen participated as one of the members of the assembly. Umon is so much more known than Eshu Kempo because he founded also his own school eventually, the Umon school, which was quite popular, especially in the upper classes of, of the Chinese society at that time. But later it was absorbed into the Rinzai school. Umon was known a lot for very short and cutting answers. Do you know any of those answers? He asked questions, and then before anyone had a chance, he answered himself. What is Buddha? Shit wiping stick. Kanshiketsu. So he really liked that. He himself was born in 864, southwest of what nowadays is Shanghai. And we know he died at age 86. So from the death year of 949, going backwards, we can say that he must have been born 864 of the common era. He ordained with a commandment master, so with a Vinaya master, studying the Vinaya, following all the rules. And as you probably can anticipate, as it is with most of the famous Zen masters, they start in one of the established schools of Buddhism, excel, learn a lot, but ultimately are dissatisfied with just reading, studying, and discussing. So in his search for a master, he went and he heard about this one teacher who already was over 100 years old by the name of Bokshu. And he went to Bokshu and wanted to have Doksan, an audience. He came to the cabin, the abode of Bokshu, which was in the woods, of course, the sliding door opened, he stepped inside. Bokushu grabbed him. Speak! Speak! Umon could not say anything. Even though 100 years old, the old guy pushed him out the door and shut it. Umon was bewildered. This is not what he had expected. It's certainly not the way that the Vinaya masters teach. He had probably heard about various Zen masters, what they do, but once you encounter it, it's quite different. 
And Bokushu has a history, and we will go into that right after the end of the interaction between Ummon and Bokushu. So Ummon went out and sat down in the forest, determined, okay, I will go back tomorrow, or I'll go back when I feel that I'm ready. And then when he grabs me and when he says, speak, speak, I am going to say something really profound. <laughs> So he came back, the sliding door opened, he stepped in, as expected, Boksu grabbed him, speak, speak! Nothing profound came out. He was pushed out the door once again, wordless, no comment, nothing, no insult. In this case, the silence of the teacher was the greatest insult to Umon that you could imagine. Again, it's fantastic to see here the different flavors of silence. Umon's silence of not being able to speak. Bokushu's silence of not having to say anything to the situation because it is so clear. Back to the forest with Umon. Okay, I have to sit longer. Let me do some more zazen and then... He scraped together his courage to go back to Bokushu. After all, three times, the third time is the charm. He appeared, the sliding door opened. He stepped inside. Bokushu grabbed him. Speak, speak! Umon, unable to speak, prepared himself to be thrown out, and he was thrown out, but already he went limp on the way out, so when Bokushu slammed the door, Umon's leg got stuck. It was a very heavy door. Some sources say the leg was broken. However, the leg must have hurt a lot because when it slammed, Umon went, ah! Bokushu opened the door again. Come in. And of course, he didn't want Umon to come in to administer first aid to the leg. He was there to administer first aid to the seeker, to all of that that had brought Umon to go through these adversities, let's say, to have the courage to come back and to still try and try and try. That is something that is just very, very important. And Bokushu, Bokushu was the head monk at the monastery before he became a teacher himself. And it happened to be the monastery of Obaku Gion. Obaku Gion is the teacher of the founder of our school, of Rinzai Gigen. Bokushu was the head monk. And there was a young monk by the name of Rinzai. Even though Rinzai had spent quite some time in the monastery already, he has never gone to see Obaku. So one day, Bokusu approached Rinzai and said, Brother, you know, you, are, you have been here for quite some time. Why haven't you gone and seen Osho? And Rinzai said, Head monk, you know, I would go, but... I don't know what to ask. 
So out of his abundant kindness, Bokushu said, I'll tell you what to ask. Why don't you go in and ask him about the quintessence of Buddha Dharma? And Rinzai bowed and said, I will do that. So the next time there was Sanzen, Doksan, Rinzai joined. And he went in, he did his bows to Obaku and asked the question, Master, what is the quintessence of Buddha Dharma? Bang, bang, bang. He hit him and threw him out. Rinzai retreated, went back to sitting. Maybe I should go back. But let me ask Bokusu first. I went in and I asked, but the master just hit me. Oh. Never mind. Just, just go back and ask again. All right. Rinzai went back. He asked Obaku, what is the... <laughs> got hit again. Thrown out once again. Still encouraged for a third time to go. Coming in, even just opening his mouth, he received the blows of Obaku. And he went to the head monk and he said something that is really, really significant to all of us. He reported again to Bokushu that I went in three times to ask the question and I got hit three times and thrown out. And he said, I deplore deeply that my accumulated karmic impediments are preventing me from getting the profound meaning of Osho's intentions. I have decided to leave. So he didn't go back to Bokushu and said, why did you tell me to ask this stupid question? I got hit three times. So he was not reactive to it from a self-centered kind of point of view. Maybe he manifested clearly that feeling inadequate, which we spoke about yesterday. Clearly, he recognized that he was addressing with his practice what he was able to address, but that these karmic impediments made it not possible for him to get what Obaku tried to convey to him. Now then he left, of course. He went to another teacher and he said, oh, the teacher asked, where, where did you study? Oh, I studied with Obaku. What, you studied with Obaku? Why are you coming here? I went into Obaku. I asked him about the quintessence of Buddha Dharma. I got hit three times. And the other teacher said, oh, something to the effect, Obaku has treated you with grandmotherly love. Go back. He is your teacher. And that made Rinzai realize something that is really important. But why am I telling you these two stories about Bokushu, about Umon going in three times, about Rinzai going in three times? The humility the surrender 
through the process is really something that we have to cultivate in this practice. Even if we are not ordained, it is a wonderful ability that we develop through that that allows us to really manifest ourselves fully in what the moment calls for. Selflessness, muga. Zen is the practice of muga, of no self. So our case number 17, featuring Eshu Kempo and Umon Bunen. Eshu Kempo went to the hall and said, the Dharmakaya has three types of sickness and two types of light. That sounds cryptic. It sounds cryptic if we attach to the words. But if we apply our knowledge and our experience from our Zazen and from our training with Joshu Roshi, and also by looking at his teachings of Tathagata Zen, Nyoko Nyorai Zen, we know about thus come, thus gone, and that when the root source breaks up, it breaks up into three. The Dharmakaya has three types of sickness. What is sickness? Sickness is something that is not complete. Not complete, something striving, something that is at dis-ease. It is a disease. It's not at ease if we human beings look at it. But what are those three sicknesses? Well, of course, the world we live in manifests the sickness of past, present, and future. The delusion of that there is a past that exists separately, that there is present. How ludicrous is it to even say present, because already it's abstracted and we miss it. Future, again, future, if future exists as an object, it is separate and distance has come between us and what is. The three diseases of the Dharmakaya, the three sicknesses, become pretty obvious when looking at past, present, and future. What about the two types of light? Two types of light exist in a flat world, in a world of X and Y where we can move to the right, to the left, forward, and backwards. Our experience of past and future are directional. Our breath from a fixated point of view is experienced as oppositional directional, exhalation, inhalation plus and minus, male and female, father, mother, however Roshi, Joshu Roshi may have expressed it, however we may express it, right hand, left hand, that 
directionality of a polar opposition can be seen in these two types of light, light and darkness, black and white. Remember, ko in time, ko in light and darkness. The Dharmakaya has three types of sickness and two types of light. Only after passing through these can one sit in peace. I mentioned Ansun. Peace of mind, peace of heart. Only after passing through past, present, and future, only after seeing through the principles that stand behind this, and only after physically knowing if the water is hot or cold for our own, then we can sit in peace. Now, of course, sitting in peace doesn't mean that the Dharma activity won't continue to work without will and desire and throw things our way that we as an individual or as a society would rather not face. But sitting in peace and having the peace of heart is that come what will, we will face it. We will face it with that humility that we have seen expressed through Bokushu's advice, Umon seeking instruction, Rinzai seeking instruction. After saying this, Esho Kempo finished, Umon stepped forward and asked, why is someone inside a hut unaware of what's happening outside? Why is someone who is caught inside a self with fixated walls that has no windows, how could one be unaware what is going on in the whole, in the entirety of the cosmos? It's like going to a planetarium. Have you ever been to a planetarium? When the light is on, it's just a dome that is painted and when the light goes off and the stars are projected we can extend ourselves to see the sky and the vastness even in a very limited space. We human beings we have that capacity and at times it is a wonderful thing to be able to do. At other times, if we see our own limited self and extend it to be everything and have this kind of make-believe become a delusion, then it is not so helpful. So that's the question that Umon Bunen is asking. Why is it that while we are caught in our limited self that we can't see what you're talking about? Kempo gave a hearty laugh. I don't know how often Joshu Roshi laughed at me or with me. He was such a wonderful example. And I have to admit that after he passed, by going and studying with other teachers and moving to a different point of view of what he had taught, my appreciation for what he has expounded to us 
has multiplied in so, so many ways. In this case, proximity does not breed content, but proximity often makes things be so close that we cannot see clearly. Joshua Roshi's physical demise here did not leave us any other choice than having that distance. He created it by disappearing. Seeing the richness from various other points of view is really something that I'm very grateful for and that has increased my gratitude for what Joshua Roshi has done to teach here and to expound the Dharma. And one of the things that I learned is that the role of a Rinzai teacher is to deprive the student. It's not to give the student anything, but to take everything away they have. And if they come with nothing, you take that too. So deprive, deprive, deprive. And it's such a delicious thing to see. How often have I come in and, and Roshi rang me out, ah, not enough, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. And it went on and on, not enough, not enough, until the day came and suddenly, ah, too much. <laughs> so we can't do but fail. And that is the teaching. He and the Rinzai teachers, Rinzai, Uman, all of these masters, they teach us through that deprivation in the end that we have to mobilize the resources with which we are born. to see into our own nature and to recognize that from the very beginning we are the only one below the heaven and above the earth who are to be venerated. That's what the Buddha said when he was born, pointing up and down. Tenjo tenge yuiga dokuson. Below the heavens and above the earth, I alone am the world honored one. That is true for each of us. And that's what this practice helps us recognize. Kempo's laugh points right to that. But Uman, again, sincere as he is, your student still questions this. And it's important that we still question everything. In fact, we should question everything. Genro once said to me in the beginning of my practice, it's such a funny thing to visualize that. He looked me in the eye and said, don't believe anything anyone else says. Do you get this? And I ate it up. Uman himself said something quite similar. I know we have lots of teachings of masters who have passed away. We have lots of people teaching and giving talks and speaking a lot of words. And what Uman said about that to his assembly is the following. You must neither fall for the tricks of others, nor simply accept their directives. The instant you see an old monk open his mouth, you tend to stuff those big rocks right into yours. And when you cluster in small groups to discuss his words, you are exactly like those green little flies on a piece of shit that struggle back to back to gobble it up. What a shame. 
It's colorful language, but it gets the point across. And don't forget, these little flies, they live off the ship. So there's something in that cycle of tilling, planting, harvesting, eating, returning in a natural way in it. So Uman, in the same way, well, your laugh is one way of expressing it, but give me more, give me something else, he asked Kempo. But Kempo said, what is on your mind? Now mind, in this case, heart mind. What is your deepest intention with this questioning? And Umon said, I wish the master to understand fully. Now, if we didn't know that Umon was a sincere practitioner, it could be interpreted in a way of telling the master, well, I don't think you get it. But that's not what he says. I wish the master to understand fully. Are other words for however innumerable sentient beings are, I vow to save them all. Kempo replied, it's only in such profound stillness that one understands sitting in peace. When we take a vow to save all beings, when we take a vow to do our best to live in this world with the tail, the biha, being present, imperfection, and not being able to do anything about it, our self-centeredness, our I am selves, descends in complete stillness. It disappears. Muga. No self is manifest, true love is manifest. And in the various flavors of that true love, one truly understands what that anxing, the sitting in peace means. It comes in many flavors. It comes in the flavor of the direction of one of the lights of the Dharma, that is expansion in this world with consciousness, but not self-consciousness. Consciousness, awareness, or it comes in the other flavor of the two lights of the Dharmakaya, which is darkness with the complete disappearance. And in between those polarities, millions of colors, millions of flavors, billions, uncountable ways to experience this activity of Dharma and to apply ourselves to that vow. Hearing this, Umon agreed. Daku, daku, yes, yes. And that is exactly the same yes that we who are trained as ordained people know with which we respond when we are asked to do something. We say, hi, yes, yes. So what will we do? Shall we do this all together? Yes! Didn't sound very convincing. Hmm? I think we have to try that again.
but let's not say yes this time, but when we chant the Shuzo Mohen Seigando, let's chant it in the way that Josu Roshi instructed us to chant. When you chant, you have to chant in the way that if there were heavenly beings, they would be moved to tears. That is the way how we save all sentient beings.